Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Amy Barnard Bond is a former Fortune Global 50 executive. She's a C-suite coach and consultant, speaker, author of a book I have read, The PI Guidebook, How the Promotability Index Can Help You Get Ahead in Your Career. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that in our conversation today. She's also a contributor to the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Compliance Week, And she has expertise in legal, HR, compliance, and she's a Marshall Goldsmith 100 coach. And on top of all of that, I think you're also an attorney. So welcome, Amy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, we are thrilled that you're here today. And I gave people a light touch as to who you are and what you do. But I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about how you have come to do what you do today and how you currently interact in the marketplace. Sure. Well, I started as an attorney, litigator, employment mostly, and that gave me a really great great grounding to eventually then move into HR, which was something I had. I wound up quitting my law firm and taking a year off because I had no idea what I wanted to do. (laughs) So just to give some, I hope, hope for people out there who might be in that space where I was at the time um, and found HR and took a big pay cut and it was one of the smartest things I ever did. Um, cut my teeth on HR, loved it, loved getting ahead of the problems before they became litigation. That just wasn't a good values fit. And I, I'll fight for the right things, but I don't like fighting over stuff that could have been prevented, which is what most litigation, in my opinion, is. Big waste of time and money. So it's much easier to get good at conflict and and having the tough conversations before stuff gets you know, into, into that area. So I did that and then worked my way up to the C-suite in various roles, uh, as chief compliance officer at McKesson and chief human resources officer for a bank and have kind of split my career back and forth between, um, those two disciplines. I'm very left brain and right brain oriented. And so I work now at the intersection of that, which is a relief and a little less, um, confusing. I, I always felt like I had to pick when I was in corporate, you know, one role. And now I get to work in both spaces. And I coach as an executive coach, uh, people who want to get promoted to the C-suite or who are in the C-suite and need help working with boards. I also write and speak and advocate 
access for people who are underrepresented in terms of leadership roles. Fantastic. I am sure all of that keeps you very busy. And you have me reflecting back on my human resources career, because I used to tell people all the time, and you may not agree with this, but we live in the type of country where anyone can sue at any time. Our effort should not be preventing lawsuits. Our effort should be winning them. So, you know, you could be the greatest leader ever and still be named in a lawsuit for some kind of crazy behavior, of course, our focus and attention, of course, you don't want to get sued, but you know, and you should do the right things at all times. But if you are sued, your focus and attention should be on solving those problems. And it sounds as though some of your career might have been focused in that arena. Definitely. It, it was super helpful in explaining to leaders what could happen if we didn't do X or Y, because I legitimately had been there. Right, right. And, you know, another observation that you had, which I think I'd like to talk a a little bit about, is really this ability to, you know, negotiate or talk your way uh, through a conflict. When most people think about bravery at work, rather than thinking about helping others, which is where I want people to be and spend their time, they think of it almost organically like a conflict. That if I need to say something that needs to be said or do something that needs to be done, I will be engaging in a conflict. And of course, nobody wants to engage in a conflict, or at least most people don't. So they avoid it and don't pay attention to it. And I'm wondering you know, what your experiences or reflections have been on the really intersection between you know, potential bravery moments of helping versus this perspective some people have that being brave at work means creating a conflict. Yeah, I think of being brave at work, including having critical conversations and having the thoughtfulness and the foresight to see around corners and to anticipate where you might have a disagreement, whether it's with a stakeholder, um, a change initiative that you've been asked to lead, or a personality conflict on your team, whatever it is, if you really got your ear to the ground and, and you can map out your strategy or you're talking to your stakeholders, you can anticipate, I think, reasonably where their interests are going to differ from yours or where you just don't naturally get along. You know, all those things happen and and everything in between, right? And so I think it's so helpful to prepare for those conversations and to think of them as, as a natural output of just working with human beings. We're all different. We've all got different preferences and work styles and we've all got a different remit from our boss. And so one of the things I always advise is to, for, for key stakeholder relationships to do an analysis of your influence audit, really do an influence audit of who are my key stakeholders? What's my credibility in the bank with them? What's my influence? How have I helped them lately? Do I know what their goals are so that I can anticipate where when I go to them with an ask either for resources or support or a vote yes at at the board meeting or the C-suite that they're going to be on my side or maybe they'll they'll give me information that's really important that was a blind spot for me and they'll actually help me do my job better because I'll be better prepared. You know, this is one of the frustrations I have in the world we have created, which is people don't spend enough time being self-reflective or being curious about their uh, self-awareness about how they are with others, right? That they're so focused on the project or so focused on the task that they don't think enough about where they are in their relationship. And of course, having 
a positive relationship is a very good platform to be brave at work because if somebody who you care about and you respect has something to say to you that might be hard to hear, you're more likely to listen to them than somebody whom you have no relationship with or you know, don't have any of the things that you're just you're describing. Are those some of the experiences that you've had as you've worked with clients over the years? Definitely. Neuroscience has shown that we can only gain influence with other people when two things exist. And the first is they have to believe that we like them. And the second is they have to believe that we are open to their influence. And only then can you influence them in a truly effective way. And so it's just stated what you said differently, which is you have to have the relationship first. But when you break it down, it's likability and feeling comfortable with the person and then feeling that you respect them enough to be influenced by their opinion as well. So it's not a one-way street. I recently wrote um, an article for Harvard Business Review called Promotions Are Not Just About Your Skills, They're About Your Relationships. And I think that gets exactly to what we're talking about today. And in there, I, I try to give several tips on how people can build better relationships and get noticed and think about their succession in the organizations that they're in or outside the organization, depending on where they are in their career. Well, I love that description because it does infer the nature of a relationship. Part one is that they have to believe that you like them and they also have to believe that you're influenced by them, right? So it goes both ways. And of course, that's a relationship, right? A relationship takes two people or more, and they both have to have wins in respect to the experience they have with each other in order to have a great influence. And certainly one of the relationships you talk about in your book that I personally love is in the section uh, talking about external awareness. And it starts off with a section about your boss and having a, you know, a positive relationship, a strong relationship with your boss. You know, why did you start in that section? And why do you think for our listeners it is so important, especially if you want to be brave with your boss, you have to almost in some ways be welcomed to be brave by them. You know, why is it important to have a strong relationship with your boss in this area of external awareness? I appreciate you mentioning the book and it's the promotability index is an assessment that's free that I created 82 questions. Anybody can access it from my website and it breaks promotability into five elements. And the second one is the one you're mentioning, which is so important, which is around external awareness, which is how do I show up to other people? It's very much popular called brand these days, what's your personal brand, but it's really about, you know, how do I, how do my behaviors impact other people? How am I perceived and perceptions, the co-pilot to reality as, as one of my favorite colleagues, um, Carla Harris says. And so to your point around boss, I mean, the boss has all the power um, to change your compensation and give you great assignments or not, or make your life miserable, right? And we've probably all experienced both if we've lived long enough. And so it's a critical relationship. And if you're lucky, you your boss is not only a boss, but they're a sponsor. And that's that's like gold, but that is rare. And if you have it, I'm so happy for you. And if you don't, then what Ed and I are talking about today are some things that can help you get closer to that. One of the things that I think people underestimate the most is external awareness that I find in my coaching. Usually either someone comes to me and they say, 
I've been told like, I'm not going to get promoted because I have this performance blocker or there's this perception of me. I think it's unfair. I don't think it's true, but I've got to, clearly I have to work on it because I'm stuck. I'm now stuck. Um, or uh, HR sends me someone and says, we really want to promote this person. They're amazing. They're so talented. We trust them. They're a values fit for our company, but there's just this one thing that's happening. You know, can you work with them? And usually it's external awareness, Ed. Usually it's, you know, sorting through the perception, sorting through maybe just how they interact just with a couple of different types of people. Not everyone. We have people we all naturally acclimate to, right? And then we all naturally, everyone has people they don't. And so the trick in leadership and the higher you get, the more you got to figure this out. You have to be able to get along with and work well with everybody because, that's the beauty of the world is that we are diverse and we do need to learn how to handle conflict productively. And conflict is a, is a part of business. It's a part of innovation. It's a part of growth. It's a part of diversity. So we better get good at it. Yeah. Conflict. I tell clients all the time is an expected and needed behavior. I like the phrase navigate conflict because it's going to be there. And so you have to figure out how to navigate it effectively. And, you know, going back to your observation about, bosses, I would tell you, you know, at least 85% of my clients over the last 15 years wish they had a better relationship with their boss. It wasn't that it was always bad, but they just wished it could have been a little bit better, wish they got along a little bit better, wish they knew each other a little bit better. And I think it goes to your, your observation that they realize that the boss plays a significant role in their success, that the boss has power over their development, over their reputation, over the projects that they get. And so I would encourage all of our listeners to think a little bit about, you know, on a scale of one to six, where would you put yourself as it relates to your relationship with your boss? And if it's anything below a four, four or below, there might be some things you should be doing a little bit differently to improve it, including potentially talking to your boss about how to improve your relationship. One of the things you mentioned earlier was around, I can't remember the words you used, Ed, but it made me think of something, which is around um, some employees don't sometimes I think appreciate how difficult it is for bosses to provide feedback. And some bosses are great at it and some are, are terrified and terrible at it. And so as the employee, one of the great things you can control is doing your best to make it easy for your boss to give you the feedback and to create a psychologically safe space for your boss which most employees don't usually think of it that way, but literally um, creating a space that's safe, you know, picking your timing, um, letting your boss know. I mean, I think one of those powerful things, and it's an exercise in my book, is to say to your boss at an appropriate time, not during compensation, not during review time, not when they're all stressed about that, um, when it's genuinely a career development discussion. And you say, hey, I really want to be the best at what I do. Can you give me one suggestion on something I can do differently that would make me more effective in my role? And then just stop talking. Very important. And let them think. Give them a minute to think. Don't let them off the hook. And if you are patient and you just simply listen and you create that safe space, and you don't get defensive and you don't argue and you know get into a chatter about it, you will get a gem and you can take that gem and you can turn it in your hands and look at it and you can say, okay, 
this is great. I agree. What wonderful feedback I can work on. I can do this, this, and this. Or you might look at it and say, that's, this is totally unfair. I don't agree. But now I know. And rather that I know than I didn't know, because now I can work to change the perception because maybe it was one thing that happened a year ago that your boss is still mad about and you had no idea, but you made it safe for them to say that. Um, so either way, again, you can decide what to do with the feedback, but just knowing the feedback is, is putting power back in your hands because then you can choose to do something about it. Well, I think it demonstrates incredible strength if a subordinate quote unquote, uh, was to ask a boss, what's something I could be doing differently to be more effective? That's I don't think brave, that, right? It is. And I don't think that's a conversation that's happening in organizations. People are so focused on projects and conference calls and meetings and running from room to room or virtual meeting to virtual meeting that they don't take time as we started our conversation to be self-reflective about what they could be doing differently or what others believe uh, in their observations of them that they could be doing differently or consider doing differently to be more effective. So a lot of our guests, Amy, share a story about bravery in the workplace. And I'm just wondering if you had a story that you could share with our listeners. Well, I knew that you'd have <laughs> listened to your podcast. <laughs> so I know this is um, coming and I do have one. And actually it dovetails nicely. Exactly. It happens to with what we were just talking about. Um, when I, had built a team at one of my companies. I hired in to my team, a, a wonderful person who was quite knowledgeable, who was an internal hire. He had uh, been in a role that was kind of not going anywhere. And I had a huge opportunity. I had a much broader span of responsibility. And so he came to work for me and we had been friends. We had been peers previously. So we had that to navigate and that we could spend a whole hour talking about that. Uh, that that's a challenge um, that that also can be uh, something to get through as a leader. But the short story is, I went to my boss and said, "Hey, I'm delighted. This person is going to join our team, and they have this skill set and this skill set that I that we need on our team. They've already built it in their business unit. We'll be able to double our our speed, and they're known. They know the culture. They're already here. And no reload. You know, it's it's great." And I didn't know it, but this person had, had just my president had worked with this person previously and said immediately to me, why would you even think of hiring that person? They're a C player. And I was dumbfounded, uh, both because I personally was friends with this person and really cared about them. And I just didn't expect it as a leader. And I, I said, okay, thanks for the feedback. You know, and I didn't tell my employee that. Uh, I knew he hadn't liked this prior boss and wouldn't listen to it. So I found other ways to, to beef up the skill set and give uh, performance opportunities to get and, and some presentation skills training for that person. I, I learned later, and you'll love this, I know as an HR person, that this person had never been given a review in 10 years. So completely unfair to me that that here was this senior executive that had a C rating for this employee and, and actually told me to get rid of him, by the way, not only don't hire, but get rid of him. Um, <laughs> and nice. without, without giving him a chance and that's crazy. And so, uh, I was privately brave. I did not challenge. I, I just said, well, give, like, give me a chance with him and I'll work with him. And I, you trust me that 
I think he's going to be great. And luckily my boss was like, okay, he wasn't a micromanager, so he wasn't going to tell me what to do. It's just like, okay, it's all on you if he fails. So it was, you know, and it always is if you're the leader and you're building your team. Um, and, you know, we, we worked on the issues. I don't think that, you know, it ever completely changed that boss's opinion, but I know from my standpoint, it was a win. He was amazing and did exactly what I needed for my team. And so that, that occurred to me both in terms of these perceptions and how we get feedback, how some companies just don't do a good job at that. Some managers don't. And so I think people really have to adopt a philosophy of radical self-reliance around making sure you get the feedback you need, being vulnerable and courageous in getting it and, and then deciding what you want to do with it for your career. Well, I think asking your boss to give me a chance to say, hey, give me, I understand what you're saying. Give me a chance to make this work. That took bravery because that's a conflict of what your boss wanted, right? And rather than saying, okay, I'll get rid of him, which a lot of people might do, you said, give me a chance. And uh, of course, your goal then at that point was to make it work. So I think that's a fantastic story, Amy. And I can tell you're a former HR person because only a former HR person would describe a, a, a candidate as somebody who has no reload. Right? Only <laughs> a, all the HR people think about the expenses associated with relocation. So. I had a budget. Yeah, yeah, I wanted the budget for someone else because I was building a team from scratch. So yeah, that's funny. Well, thank you so much for your time, Amy, today and your stories and observations about bravery at work. How can people contact you if they want to talk more about the work that you're doing? Oh, thanks, Ed. My website is just barnardbond.com. And then I'm in all the places on social media, LinkedIn being my favorite, but also on Instagram and Twitter. Well, great. And I'll remind people that you also have a book, The PI Guidebook, How the Promotability Index Can Help You Get Ahead in Your Career. I've gone through the book and it's, it's really more of a roadmap, right? So it's not like a 250 page narrative. No, no, no. This is a workbook. This is a journaling, beautifully designed um workbook for that companies have adopted and that individuals have adopted when they don't maybe have all the support they wish they had. And the most powerful way they can use it actually is to use it with their boss, take the free assessment, get the book, and then go to their boss and say, hey, I'm interested in advancing. These are the areas I've picked out. What do you think? Are these the ones you think I should be working on? It's a, it's a very, and it gives them a vocabulary to use. It's objective that breaks down promotability. One of the, one of the motivations for me for writing this book was hearing so often from my clients that they were just simply told in response to, Hey, I'd, I'd really like to have more responsibility. They were just told, you know, you're great, but you're just not ready yet. And they'd be like, what does that mean? When, okay. when, when will I be ready? How do you know I'll be ready? <laughs> what are you, should I be doing? So I, my book is an attempt to answer that question in a very yep. practical way. Well, I love the layout. It is beautifully laid out and it is kind of a roadmap or workbook for people to get the help, as you said, they don't often get. And most people do not get this type of help. Uh, most people do not have opportunities to be self-reflective and planful about their own career. So thanks again, Amy, for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Ed. It was my pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and our download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Capit Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 
222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.